We come now to our sermon passage this morning, and uh, this sermon's entitled Righteous Anger. So you just get angry with it. No. Um, <laughs> we'll be reading Psalm 129. It's printed for you in your bulletin, in this uh, translation that I have in here most weeks is the NIV. Um, I don't think I've ever said that, but um, there's tons. We have an abundance of great English translations of Scripture. Um, but go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible with you. If not, it's printed for you in your bulletin. To Psalm 129, God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascents. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. But they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that in it we find who you are. Because you use it. This is your revelation to us of who you are and what you're about. And it's a revelation to us of who we are in you. And an invitation for us to step into what you have for us. So this morning, Lord, as we reflect on these words and as you continue to speak by your Holy Spirit showing us what this means, show us the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see him and rest upon him and have our hearts ravished by the beauty and glory of what we see. And be changed. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ever listen to Christian radio stations? I, I don't often. They don't tend to play the kind of music that I, I really love. But if you listen to Christian radio, sometimes you'll hear some really good songs. Um, you'll find a lot of inspirational songs, positive songs. Some of them are really, really good. But I think those songs have a lot in common with each other. They tend to be pretty narrow in the emotions that are expressed. If you listen to Christian radio, you'll hear happiness to so the positive songs, happiness and joy. You might hear sorrow, but it's never sorrow that stays around. It's always like sorrows in the first verse, and then by the end, like everything's fixed and you're good. But one thing I've never heard on Christian radio in all my years is anger. Never heard anger. You don't hear angry songs on Christian radio. Now that might be true of Christian radio stations, but it's not true of Scripture. It's not. Especially the Psalms. In fact, John Calvin, the great reformer in the 16th century, when he spoke about the Psalms, he called them an anatomy of all parts of the soul. His point was, if you look through and you read the Psalms, you don't just find happiness and thanksgiving. You find the wide range of human emotions. You find despair. You find sorrow. You find fury and anger. You find a reflection of who we are as humanity living in a broken world. Psalm 129, which we've just read, you may have picked up on it as we were reading. It's a song that's full of anger. They've got tambourines in children's churches. Uh, it's a song that's full of anger. It's not a pretty song. In my own mind, uh, in modern genres, this is not a song that's so much sung as it is screamed. 
you know, if the I've said the Psalms of Ascent, which we've been going through this summer, like a playlist, was a playlist with a lot of different genres. And some of the earlier songs were more like inspirational and maybe Celine Dion singing it, but this is like, this is under oath. This is Zayo. They are screaming these words. This is Emery. Um, sorry, I'm naming bands that maybe like three of us in here know. Uh, <laughs> this is an angry song. Because in a broken world such as ours, anger isn't going anywhere. So this song doesn't just reflect anger, it's an invitation into anger. Because anger sometimes is good. Sometimes anger is good. That's not to say all anger is good. I don't mean getting angry when you're at Taco Bell and it's taking too long to take a, you know, a note from my own life Thursday at lunch. It's taking too long for me to get my two burritos and I'm getting angry. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not anger that the wide receiver in a few weeks is going to drop the touchdown pass and your team lose. That's not the good anger I'm talking about. That might be frustrating. But this song, Psalm 129, is a song about righteous anger. Anger that springs from when you or someone else has been mistreated and abused and sinned against. When you see wrongs happening, the response to that shouldn't be stoic, oh, I guess that's going on. Righteous anger. That's what I'm talking about. That's what this psalm is talking about. And this psalm, with some help from where it goes in Jesus, which we'll get to, helps us understand what to do with our legitimate righteous anger. To do what we are called to do with all of our emotions and entrust them to God, who can be trusted with our anger better than we can ourselves. In other words, you might be afraid of your anger, but God's not. And I think in this psalm, we see that God leads us into righteous anger. He leads us within righteous anger. And He leads us through righteous anger. So that's going to be actually my breakdown in the sections this morning. The first one is this. God leads us into righteous anger. So when we see something happen that's truly wrong, or we have been wronged by someone else, how should we respond? Should we repress anger in a spirit of keeping peace? I think that's what uh, most Christians tend to think, that we should kind of be peacekeepers. But Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Um, that we should be peacekeepers. When someone wrongs us, we quietly take it and we go, okay, that's, that's what it is. No. In fact, that's why I think this psalm exists. It leads us into righteous anger by inviting us to see the depth of brokenness in our world. So this song, oddly enough, was probably used in a worship service. So, um, you know, we just did the dismissal for children's worship. And we had that call and response, right? What's our prayer for these, or hope for these children? That the word of the Lord may grow in their hearts. This song was probably used in a very similar way. It starts out with one person saying what? They've greatly oppressed me from my youth. And then he stops and says, let all of Israel say. He says, together, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Um, think of that. It's a moment carved out in worship for the airing of grievances. They've decided that they're going <laughs> to... Maybe we should put that in there. Somewhere between the call to worship and you know, assurance of God's love for us, we'll have a moment of, for the airing of anger. They greatly oppressed me for my... Oh, I should have put it in there this week, actually. That would have worked. But I think what we learn... And the reason I'm pointing that out is that in the face of injustice, righteous anger is an act of worship. In the face of injustice, 
Righteous anger is an act of worship because it recognizes that what is happening is not right. What is happening is not right. And when oppression happens, which it talks about, when injustice happens, God is angry. And we are invited to walk into, to step into that anger with Him. He leads us into righteous anger, not around it. And this psalm actually uses a word that's become more and more common in our culture in the last few years, and I think for good reason. It's the word oppression. Now, you might have a different translation. It'll about they greatly they greatly persecuted. But the word that's there, that's translated oppression here, it's a word that means to be bound in, to be wrapped up, to be uh, narrowed in, it, it, like to be crushed and to be pressed in upon. This concept of uh, oppression is one deeply rooted in Scripture. In, in fact, think of that word, oppression. It literally means being pressed upon. Oppression. Someone using power or status or what they have, their resources, to crush others. Someone pressing in, crushing and if we have any question about that, the, the psalm goes on in verse 3 to paint this very vivid picture of what's happened, this graphic image. It speaks of someone, an oppressor, who is a farmer that has dug their field into the back of people. I think of Pharaoh in Egypt. We were in Exodus at the front end of this year. Thinking of Pharaoh building his kingdom upon the backs of the Israelite slaves, this picture that the oppressor is a farmer who's dug the rows of his field into the back of people, who has done this and expects the outcome of him using that power against them to be prosperity. And that's terrible enough by itself, this using of people, that graphic image. This psalm actually goes on to show that oppression isn't just an act of, of, uh, of crushing toward another person. It's an act of war. A declaration of war in a sense against God. I think it actually recognizes that in the second half of the psalm where it speaks of the oppressor who is just described as using people as being a person that hates Zion. That hates Zion and is acting against God. It's recognizing that God has made all things. That people are not free to use other people because other people don't belong to us. That our world is not designed to be a place where we are angling for our own kingdoms and using other people as stepping stones to get to a certain place. That's not the way God designed it. And so God leads us into righteous anger by showing us what is actually going on in this world. He shows us the ugliness of the brokenness of our world and how it's not just people trying to get one up on each other. Even when we sin against other people, we're sinning against God who has created that other person. So God leads us into righteous anger by letting us see what oppression is spoken about here really is. But he doesn't just lead us into seeing it. God also leads us within righteous anger by inviting us to address it. And that brings me to my second section, within righteous anger. God leads us within. He leads us within righteous anger by directing how we, in the midst of righteous anger, can move toward actions that address it. This psalm is an invitation to call out wrong. Not to beat people over the head, 
Not by any means, but it's an invitation to not just see the reality, the brokenness of our world, but to let it out. To not allow it to fester in our hearts when we've been abused, when we've been sinned against. Not to hold it in for the sake of keeping peace, but to be invited to even express it as an act of worship. It's okay to call out wrong. It's okay to insist that those who have wronged you or wronged others see it and take responsibility for it. That's okay. If you have faced oppression, if you've been wronged, it's not having a victim mentality to say that. There's lots of accusations, I think, that people will say, well, you know, you, you just you get hung up on what's happened to you. You've, become a, you've got a victim mentality. This, in Psalm 129, is God giving his people words to continue express, to express the things that have impacted them, that have hurt them, and that they have continued to feel the after effects to. It's not a victim mentality to name it. In fact, being able to name it is an act of wisdom and strength. It is profound strength to be able to name that you have been wronged by somebody else. Not weakness. Take Jesus, for instance. Jesus in his time on earth, I think we have pictures maybe from like, if we grew up in Sunday school with a little like a flannel graph boards with Jesus walking along or maybe children's Bibles, Jesus always smiling. But if you read through the Gospels, Jesus, not all the time, Jesus grew incredibly angry. It was a righteous anger, but he grew in, in, incredibly angry in his time on earth. We all know of Jesus rushing into the temple to throw the money changers out. Well, why did he do that? Just because he didn't like that they were there? No, they had set up in the part of the temple that belonged to foreigners and the poor. And they were racking up a market that was making money hand over fist on these people who had no... People would be coming from far away or people were poor and they didn't have lambs. They didn't have animals to offer and sacrifice. So they would get to Jerusalem and they would have to buy it. Well, the market would say, you can only use our currency. So we're going to, you know, get you there as you switch out your currency for our currency. And you have to pay these prices and you have no other option because you don't have another market to go to. Jesus was saying, you set up a market, a den of thieves in my father's house that he keeps out people and tells them that they have to pay or jump this high or do this thing to access God. He grew furious, threw them out of the temple. He grew angry at his disciples. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. If you look at Mark chapter 10, Jesus is speaking and, uh, as, you know, Jesus is speaking about divorce. This incredibly, like, adult conversation. And people have their kids and they're, like, throwing their kids at Jesus. Here, hold them, touch them. And his disciples are like, no, go away, go away. He's rebuking them. And it says that Jesus grew indignant. He was furious that this was happening. That people were pushing away these vulnerable children just because they weren't important. It says that Jesus grew indignant with his disciples actually later on in Mark chapter 10. Because uh, James and John come up to Jesus in secret. And they're like, look Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on the left hand and right? Can we sit at your side? Like they do it in secret. And in fact, in one of the other gospels, they get their mom to go up to Jesus to ask them on their behalf. Which is a funny picture to me. Can, can we get the you know place of prestige? When they asked him that, Jesus grew furious because they were trying to angle and maneuver in a way that looks reminiscent of our world but is not reminiscent of God's kingdom. So Jesus, in his life on earth, he grew angry. 
and when it was a righteous anger. When religious leaders would accuse him of being a drunkard and a sinner because he hung out with people that he wasn't, quote unquote, supposed to hang out with, sinners and prostitutes, Jesus grew angry. I bring all this up because that means for us to follow Jesus in our world means to become angry at injustice. When we see someone being wrong, particularly in the church, when we see religious leaders using people to build platforms, we should grow angry. It makes God angry. It should make us angry too. Following Jesus in our world means becoming angry Injustice and the invitation of Psalm 129 here is that we can express it, that we can address it. In fact, the last four verses of this song seem very shocking to us, maybe. Because notice what it says For all who hate Zion ask that they be turned away in shame. It wishes that they'll be un unable to grow and thrive. They attempt to build their farm into the back of people. It says, Well, May they be like grass that withers, grows on the rooftop and can't be gathered. It says that the blessing of God would not be theirs. The last four verses are essentially, may they not prosper. May they not prosper in what they try to do. Now, I want to say this because this is not a blank check to wish bad things will happen to people you don't like. It's not what it is. <laughs> Remember, it is speaking about righteous anger coming against oppression. Against those who, quote, hate Zion. These are people that through their actions against others are opposed to God's purposes. This is not so-and-so has a personality tick that I don't like. Man, may they not prosper. May, get, may things not go well for them. That's not what it is. In the terms of the Old Testament, this would be unrighteous kings who brought the worship of false gods into the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, the singer of this psalm wouldn't want those people to prosper. In the time of Jesus, it would have been the religious leaders that we just spoke about and the priests who were allowing markets to spring up in the, in the temple to take advantage of the poor. Of course, Jesus didn't want them to prosper. In our time, it's pastors and leaders who use their positions as a platform to build their own kingdom. It's, it's pastors and leaders that abuse others or cover up abuse. It's employers that try to milk all the work out of their employees without fair pay. It's parents who abuse their children and politicians that use God as a prop to gain votes. Of course we don't want that to prosper. It's okay for that to make us angry and it's okay for us to say, yeah, I don't want that to keep going. <laughs> That's poison. It poisons everyone. And it's not unloving or wrong to say that. It's not wrong for us to oppose oppressors. I'm not saying go out and start fights with people. That is not the invitation here. But it's okay for us to use our voices and our resources if we have them. When we, people, when we see people using their power against others to call it out. It's okay to pray that those who pursue using power against others will be trapped in their own devices. That they'll face frustration in their plans. That's not unloving. That's us being led within righteous anger by God. So righteous anger, friends, let it out. Hear it. Don't allow it to fester in your heart or just make you a bitter person. Express it. Don't just be frustrated. But of course, use wisdom. Don't start arguments that go up nowhere. I'm not, this isn't going to be a keyboard warrior on Facebook. But it's not a good thing to squash righteous anger. 
And always keep in mind our last point. That God doesn't just lead us into righteous anger or within it, but He leads us, He is leading us through it. That's our last section. Through righteous anger. This psalm is a snapshot, a moment in time in the middle of righteous anger. But this psalm isn't the end of the story. I think Jesus gives us a guide for our anger not staying there because He leads us through righteous anger. Righteous anger is not a final resting spot. It's a natural response. It's a holy response to the wrong and oppression that happens in our world. But it's not a final resting spot. Because righteous anger, righteous anger doesn't just factor in the reality of the brokenness of our world or the massive impact of being wrong. Righteous anger is intimately connected to hope. Because as verse 4 says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Righteous anger also factors in the reality of the righteous God who is at work. The brokenness of our world is not the end of the story. The way that you've been wronged by others is not the end of your story. God will do justice. And the cords of wickedness and sin that hold you bound, even if you feel like you are bound right now, by what you've done and what other people have done to you, they will not win out because the Lord is righteous. The righteous anger of God will ensure that wrongs will be made right. But that brings us to the remarkable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we spoke about earlier in our assurance of pardon in Romans 5, which Jesus proclaimed in his sermon at the synagogue there in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. The remarkable truth of God is that He has revealed His righteousness through Jesus in a way that we might not expect. Not by declaring wrath, but by redeeming and justifying the ungodly in His sight. In other words, God doesn't just show us the ugliness of our world and invite us to see that. He shows us the beauty of His grace. The beauty of His grace. God deals with our sin. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't overlook it. God deals with our sin by removing it from us. And Jesus takes on the penalty for our sin. It's an incredible exchange that God does justice. He doesn't just say sin is not that big of a deal. It's such a big deal that God the Son had to take on flesh, wear the penalty for sin on His shoulders, and die on a cross. So sin's a big deal. But God deals with it. He shows His righteousness. By judging our sin when it is removed from us so that we might not be swallowed up by it. He does not allow our sin to continue. He doesn't. He interrupts. And Jesus has gutted sin of His power that it may no longer be our masters. The book of Romans speaks about that. Sin is a slave master. Jesus has gutted of His power. And He is putting it to death in the here and now. He interrupts by His grace because He has no desire to see us prosper in our selfishness. He has no desire to see oppressors prosper in their oppression. He has no desire to see wickedness thrive and people continue to be used up. God in Jesus does a great interruption. He comes as one of us. He faces the penalty due to our sin. He drags our sin to His grave and when He rises, He leaves it there. He rises in victory in His resurrection and He opens the pathway to new life. 
He calls forth from the ashes of our sinful world the beauty of a new people who are being renewed by His grace. And so righteous anger abounds with hope. Not only because God will do justice, but because of this. This is how righteous anger abounds with hope. Because if God has won us to Him by His grace, He can do that for anyone. He can do that for people who are even now oppressing others. If Jesus is alive, then everything's on the table. The hope of transformation is there. There's no one so wicked, no oppressor so grand, that the grace of God cannot find them out and free them. With Jesus, we get an invitation to see even those people with compassion and hope that God does His work of putting an end to the ways of sin by calling forth in them new life, new birth by His grace. He did it for me. He did it for you. He can do it for anyone. So we can see oppression and sin for what it is, friends. We can call it out. We can work against it. And at the same time, be a people that abound in hope. Because if Jesus is alive, then the brokenness of our world will be healed. We can name wrong for what it is. We can do that. And we can insist that those who wrong others own up to it. And at the same time... Hold the door open for those who have persisted in wickedness and persisted in oppressing others. And invite them to lay down their arms and come to King Jesus. Not to find a license to just keep doing what they want, but to bow their knee to Him, renounce using others, and find the freedom of living for others and not themselves. Our righteous anger as Jesus is leading us through it abounds with hope because God defines the end of the story. The wrong that we've experienced, the wrong that we've done is not the end of our story. Grace is. And if that's true for us, it can be true for anybody. We can call out oppression for what it is and at the same time hold the door open in generosity and compassion. So this morning, in close, if you're eat up with anger, and maybe you are, come to Jesus with it. That's not something to hide off into a, a, you know, a corner of your heart and you just bring the joy and maybe the sorrow with you to Jesus. No, bring your anger too. Don't hide it away. He knows anger as well. Ask Him to refine you that your anger may be righteous anger, not just selfish anger that eats our hearts away. And know this, God is not calling you to be a doormat. It is not holiness to be walked all over. Jesus is not calling you to silence when you experience being wronged or when you see other people being wronged. He's leading us into righteous anger within it and through it. A righteous anger infused with hope because He is making all things. And together, empowered by the beauty of His grace, we can be people who address the wrong of our world as a community of hope. Following Jesus in loving our enemies. And springing from that hope, we can move forward with anger, yes, and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that insofar as we have anything to do with it, they don't stay that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you don't ask us to cordon off and deny who we are. That to live in our world is to grow. <laughs> 
in righteous anger, and you do not pretend that that's not true. Maybe Christian radio does, maybe uh, books and things that we've said, or the way we think about what religion ought to be does, but you don't. I thank you that you lead us into righteous anger, that you show us the reality of our own hearts and the world in which we inhabit, and you invite us to respond to it with anger, and you lead us within it, Lord. Not to squash it down, but to even express it. And this power that you move us through it. Righteous anger abounds with hope. For you will not leave us. You will not leave us in anger. You will lead us through. And you will do right. And you will show grace. So Lord, as we go out from this place into a world where we are going to grow angry. Refine us. That we would follow Jesus. That we would know we are received by you. That we would not fear anger. But that we would be a people who abound with hope in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen.